With the 9-11, you had a scaler beam fired from one location, piercing straight through the earth, and it came up out of the ground, and it went through those cars in that car park, interfered slightly with their molecular structure, but when went on its way to target the Twin Towers, and another beam went, so there's a kind of little draw-off, and when they're interfering with the molecular structure of the towers to dustify it, the same kind of effect is occurring with critical components of these cars. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're doing well, and I really do appreciate it. That was author Keith Hunter. His website is lostagesecrets.com. And in this one, we talk about scalar beam weapons, which according to Keith may have been in play on 9-11 and as it pertains to man-made earthquakes, like the one we saw off the coast of Fukushima, Japan, and more recently in Turkey. This is an important interview, guys. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for being here. Before we start, just a quick word about our sponsor. We're technically at war and in a recession. Two things the government doesn't want you to know, but it's only a matter of time until the cracks start to show and you know who's going to get hit the most? You. That's why you need to protect yourself and your family, because things are going to get worse before they get better. Fortunately, Noble Gold Investments is here to help you. There's always a risk of investment and no guarantee of any kind, so do your own due diligence. But you've worked too hard to build up your savings and investments to see it all crumble. Gold and silver from Noble Gold Investments are real possessions in times like these. Knowing you're outside the system, if and when it crashes, is a great feeling. And a surefire way to keep your money safe for your retirement is a precious metals IRA. Noble Gold Investments has been helping people just like you to keep their money safe for years with these IRAs. And this month, Noble Gold is giving away a Gold Eagle bullion coin with every qualifying IRA of $50,000 or higher. Make sure you don't get trampled. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thank you so very much for tuning in. What you're seeing before you here is, of course, the devastation from that recent Turkey earthquake. Now, Turkey was not playing ball with NATO, so the question has been asked. Were scalar weapons used? How about HARP? What was used if this earthquake was not organic, let's say? I have a guest on who believes that perhaps that is the case. The earthquake in Turkey was not organic. It was caused to happen. It was made to happen. And Keith Hunter joins us right now. The website is lostagesecrets.com. Keith, welcome. Hello. It's good to be here. Good to have you, my friend. Uh, just so the audience knows, in this conversation, we're going to be talking about what you say is the hidden and or classified science behind artificial earthquakes. And there are global covert facilities that are generating earthquakes. We've got so much to talk about. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Keith, and I'll show your website as you're doing so. I'm just somebody who uh, got into the esoteric stuff basically in the 90s, uh, maybe an X-Files fan. And I was interested in ancient mythology. Uh, I was interested in um, Greek mythology in particular. Now they represented the planets, the Greek gods. And also I got caught up in uh, thinking about the earth having an ideal year of 360 days. And they started looking at megalithic structures and the connections between them. And um, also realizing there are certain like, military bases that have been positioned globally where they are with the same physical considerations as various monuments like the Great Pyramid and Stonehenge. And so I got into the whole earth grid thing. And this got me thinking about mapping uh, or connecting up various locations, latitude and longitude to each other. 
and how this also has energetic type effects. And this is what uh, is key to understanding how such as artificial earthquakes are generated. So uh, here's the, the first thing I'll just say to people, okay, when you look at an earthquake database, um, you will see that, um, you know, like the USGS, US Geological Survey, they'll give you an earthquake, they'll say it occurred at this timestamp, even to the nearest second, and they'll give you an epicenter location, right? They'll give you that, and also a depth. Now, when we think about artificial earthquakes, then you're thinking, how do you trigger uh, a disturbance deep underground? How do you actually do it? It can be miles underground, even a few hundred miles. And the answer is, you use scalar beam technology. And this was actually originally uh, developed by the, the Soviets, if we, we go with the, dare I say, official or unofficial history. So if I may share my screen here, um, I'm going to show you this diagram here of how it is essentially done. So if, you, if you're looking on screen here, then you can see um, the diagram of what is called scalar one and scalar two, basically. You know, we're all familiar with normal light, the light spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. In order to generate a scalar beam, you take two electromagnetic beams and you basically cancel them out. This nullifies, in inverted commas, the electro and the magnetic effects, but they're just made into a different type of beam. And if you fire a scalar beam, it will go through the Earth, almost if it's you know not there, has very little interaction with matter. So if you have two sites, like in the diagram, where you fire a scalar beam from one site, and it may be hundreds of miles away from another, and you fire another one, you can intersect them deep underground. And when you do, the electromagnetic effects re-emerge. And this is how you create your epicenter for your earthquake. Now, the esoteric aspect of this, though, is that when this is done, they do rely upon quite literally the position of the sun in the sky relative to where the actual epicenter of the earthquake is. And when I say sun in the sky, what I mean is this. If you just at any given moment, uh, let's say when an earthquake is registered, an artificial one, if you just freeze the rotation of the earth and draw a straight line between the center of the earth and the sun, that line pierces to the surface of the earth. So you have a coordinate set for where the sun is, just as you have a coordinate set for where the earthquake is. And these arc length measures over the Earth's surface, at that moment, they're of special lengths and they're of an unusual uh, harmonic fit a lot of the time to the Earth itself. So let me show you uh, the Japanese earthquake. If you see here, you can see the main details of the 2011 Japanese earthquake. This is the one that caused the big tsunami which, you know, caused a meltdown at Fukushima plant. And you can see in red here, we've got the precise timestamp for the uh, when the earthquake occurred to the new second. And we've also got the precise coordinates. It's a straight from USGS. Can I interject? Let me yeah. just ask a question. Now, I'm yeah. going off memory here, but wasn't there some sort of seismic event just off the coast? I think you might be just showing it there that some people surmised might have been a nuke or some sort of tactical weapon going off. Does that play into what you're describing here at all? Is that part of the scalar technology or is that something completely separate? If, for instance, the powers that ought not be set off a nuke. Well, they did not set up a nuke. This earthquake was uh, deep underground and it was triggered uh, by a scalar beam, right? They had two scalar beams. They interacted 
with each other deep underground. And the coordinates you see here are straight from the official coordinates from the US Geological Survey, your own website, right? So that, that actual signature is the official one. That's the one that you need to evaluate because they created effectively a nuclear-sized blast, but using scalar beams, okay? Okay, follow-up question. Sorry, yeah. dumb, dumb guy question. <laughs> what is the difference between scalar beam technologies and HARP, and what is the application? What is the source? What is uh, What generates the scalar beams if it's not HARP? I guess, what's the difference between scalar beam and HARP? Well, we're just basically talking about laser beams, so to speak. If you've got a normal uh, electromagnetic laser beam and you fire that at the Earth, they interact with the Earth. It'll be blocked straight out by the Earth. But if you take two beams and combine them out of phase, peak to peak, trough to trough, that's what creates a different type of beam, a scalar beam, right? These can be generated and fired down into the, the Earth through various you know, devices. HARP as a device is just a, what's called an ionospheric heater. Right. And they, they basically beam radio frequencies, waves in a controlled focused way into the ionosphere which is you know a few hundred miles up and some of the effects they cause here they can cause things like um they can cause emf waves i think to go back onto the earth's surface they can map the earth's surface they can disrupt the ionosphere itself and energetically and some of the patents involved were even to disrupt missiles that might be in inbound say for the us so that's more of an atmospheric thing harp it is not the same targeted thing as scalar beams they are from completely different facilities if you will question. harp is uh, used for atmospheric disruption so uh, what about it's let not... me ask you this when we see all these strange lights in the sky we see very anomalous things happening as we did in turkey just prior to these massive devastating in that case i think it was a 7.9 magnitude earthquake what do you think those lights are related to? And I'll stop interrupting in a second because I'm just saying many of us attribute that to harp. So I don't know. There are complexities to this. When earthquakes occur, even naturally, um, they are based upon the positions of all of the planets and even the moon and the sun. Now, when you are looking at these effects, you may be building up, um, you know, your beams, so to speak, but you spike them at, with precision timing. And uh, I, it goes into a bit of a quite a, a digression here because when, say, the Challenger was destroyed in 86, there was major weather modification over that site. When 9-11 was attacked, the buildings there, scalar beam weapons were involved in dustifying them in midair. There were also weather manipulation events there, like with the hurricane. So it may well be, and this is what some people suggest, that devices maybe like HAP might be used to condition a certain broad area, which results in some of these weird light show effects that you've got, and that they uh, basically they're actually purifying it for the scalar beams to be used to trigger the earthquake direct. That's mainly for atmospheric type attacks, though. Um, but it's again, it's I admit there are. There are aspects to it where you do wonder if somebody is modifying things atmospherically over, say, the Turkey site or the Japanese site. But those things are, they are things that occur maybe in a buildup, but there's such precision towards triggering the event with split-second timing, you know, that though any effects by things like HAP doing something to the atmosphere over certain targets, that is a secondary thing, if that makes sense. 
It does. Yeah. It does make sense. And you said something else I just want to comment on because, look, in this truth space, first of all, I should say, you probably would not be welcomed on CNN to have this conversation, right? So when we are trying to explore issues like this, we don't all have to agree on every single point. And mm-hmm. you said something interesting. I just want to comment on it. You said scalar beam technology was used on 9-11 to bring down those buildings. Now, I have never been a proponent of the things that Judy, Dr. Judy Wood claims, but I am open-minded to the idea of directed energy weapons being used, perhaps on 9-11, but Dr. Judy Wood's research stood in opposition to the research coming from Dr. Stephen Jones regarding nanothermite and nanothermate being found, the chips being found in the residue from the dust of those buildings after collapse. So there's always been a conversation. Was it nanothermate? Was it directed energy weapons? You're saying it was scalar beam technology. I'm open to having the conversation, even though I don't have all the answers. I just wanted to point that out. We may not agree on a lot of things. For instance, there's there's a contingency of my audience that are globe, as we're told, skeptics. I mean, that are questioning the very nature of this thing we live on. Uh, I don't think you're in that camp, and that's okay. I just wanted to make those points. We don't all have to agree on everything as we try to explore difficult and challenging concepts like this one. I, I, 9-11 is such a massive topic, and I could say a lot more of it. But oh, it please was, do. No, please it, do it, especially oh, yeah. if you have something to say about 9-11. Go for it. Yeah, it was a combination of mini nukes at the base of the buildings. I concur. Certain shaped charges taking out certain girders in sequence. I concur. And at the same time, the, when the buildings were falling, right, they were literally blowing away in the wind, and we've seen the footage of that. Right. These scalar beams, and if you look at the work of Thomas B, and I've got some of his books, he talks about how he can interfere with the molecular, molecular bonding of structures so that you can cause them to unravel at room temperature, so to speak, without having to melt them to extremely high temperatures, and that this is part of it. So I think that... Yes, the buildings were triggered by certain shape charges to begin the collapse, especially a mini nuke at the base. And then they were basically bombarded by these scalar beams and they were turning to dust as they were falling. I think it's a very careful operation involved all three of these things. So let me ask you a follow-up question. When we've seen what we think might be evidence of dues, directed energy weapons being used to create fires, for instance, in Northern California, in California, those PG&E fires, those appear to be space-based or perhaps military aircraft-based weapons that appear to actually be like lasers that have color. Does the scalar beam technology you're describing have a color? Uh, can we see them? Uh, we didn't see anything on 9-11. Is it different technology than the dues being used to start fires? Just help us understand that. I would say that... Um... Yes. It's like we say, you know, like we talk laser beams, laser beams can start fires. I mean, you know, when you think about focusing light from a magnifying glass from the sun, yeah? So that's normal light. The thing is, if you have a normal laser beam and you try firing it, and you, you obviously the earth, if you were to fire it into the earth, the minute it hits solid matter, it's just blocked. Yeah, it might try melting a bit of the earth where it's hitting, but it can't penetrate. When you take two scalar beams and you put them out of phase with one another. In fact, here's the diagram here. If you can see that there, where you've got one in green, and then the other, sorry, uh, two electromagnetic beams, one in green, one in like this purple, and they sum to zero with this red line. What you've done is you've cancelled 
the electromagnetic components, but they are basically enfolded. Your beam now can fly straight through the Earth. Isn't it going back to 9-11? Do you remember there were certain um, car engines that were all burning out, specific yep. components in them, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. If you ask me. Same is true, by the way, with those fires yeah. in California. Oh, Aluminum yes. wheels being absolutely just turned into alloy. I mean, liquid alloy flowing down the streets. Uh, <laughs> normal forest fires don't burn at those temperatures. So here's what I think happened. With the 9-11, you had a scalar beam fired from one location, piercing straight through the earth, and it came up out of the ground, and it went through those cars in that car park, interfered slightly with their molecular structure, but when went on its way to target the Twin Towers and another beam went. So there's a kind of little draw-off. And when they're interfering with the molecular structure of the towers to dustify it, the same kind of effect is occurring with critical components of these cars. When you look at these forest fire things, it's the same thing. It's high-precision targeting. Remember, the, the beams will come through the earth quite very minimal interaction with matter. But when they interfere with one another, the EM effects re-emerge, and they are what cause the fires. And because of the way they do it, they can be so precise in calibrating certain areas to start fires in certain locations. This is one of the things Bearden was talking about when they were talking about targeting the Challenger craft they were they were calibrating their weapons and you could see like sonic booms occurring just above like the land the launch pad in 86. And there was again strange weather sort of anomalies going off. But it's the same. I think these forest fires are the same. It's the same kind of thing that goes off. It's it is a peculiar aspect of this technology. The scalar beams allow you to penetrate the earth to attack distant targets, you know, and you can either atmospherically, which causes big balls of light. Or you can do it subsurface to trigger earthquakes, you know? So, Can I ask you a follow-up yeah. question about 9-11? Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. So if your thesis is correct and those buildings were being targeted by scalar beam technology, what would that kind of technology do to the human body? And the reason I ask is because I've always had a difficult time understanding why people were willingly Which, jumping out, out of, of those yeah. damn buildings. And the only conclusion I could draw upon doing so much research is that the heat within those buildings, despite the fires being mostly burned out at that point, the heat, unimaginably horrific heat, was coming, in my mind, from nanothermite, from what was happening to those beams inside the building. Perhaps it was something different. What does scalar beam technology do to the human body? When these beams intersect and the EM effects emerge, they merge in the entire interference zone at all points simultaneously. So if a person is inside such a field, at all points throughout their entire body, they get a cooking effect straight out affecting them, okay? So these people would have been internally on fire. You know, they'd have been running around like crazy. And I, I remember I saw the photos. I watched it happen live on TV Me when too. the second plane hit. And uh, one of the things about the, the great mysteries about it was how did the planes penetrate? And here's what I think they did. They had portable scalar beams on those key sections of the two towers that, you know, that they blocked off. And they weakened one area of the, um, of the building, right? And this is what Judy Wood has. She's got the slides right in front of her. But it's like she doesn't want to make the final step. And because she just says the holes appear, you know, 
Because if you look at it from the perspective of how do the planes get there, ordinarily they'd smash into the, the steel, which is a perimeter. But if you weaken one section of it with scalar beams at that molecular level and you just wait to the last minute, those planes will be flying in like a hot knife through butter. They'll go straight in. But if you do not affect and weaken the wall at the other end, and that's the genius of the plan and what they did, the planes fly in and smash up against the inside of the wall containing the wreckage. That is how they penetrated. They would have had portable scalar you know, equipment to weaken the sections of the wall the planes were going to fly through. But then for the main event, they would have large scalar beams from outside facilities, maybe thousands of miles away, uh, turning the towers to dust as they fell. I'm, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation because, yeah. you know, maybe for the first time, the people jumping out of those buildings makes sense to me because it never has oh, made yes. sense to me in the past. And you just said the effect on the human body, if <laughs> scalar beam weapons were being used, is akin to being burned alive, being burned yes. from within. Now, that makes sense. If I was in one of those buildings facing my greatest fear, being trapped in a towering inferno, and the only way out is through a window falling to my death. Yeah. I think they'd have been running. They would have been running around like crazy. People were running and jumping out of those buildings willingly, and perhaps it's because what you're saying is true. They were being burned alive from within. That would give you the fight-or-flight response to leap out the window just Mm. almost involuntarily. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think that's exactly what was going on. It wasn't just something external to them and the heat of any fire external. It was what was literally happening to them internal because those key sections were being affected by this technology. You know, um, and, and this is, again, I think that they may be prepping certain areas, which is why you get atmospheric stuff and strange colors in the sky over where earthquakes are about to occur. There's maybe a preparation to the areas, but the main event is high-precision stuff. And uh, if I may just return to that Japanese earthquake, I'll just show you the critical relations because that's a more recent earthquake. That's the one that caused the devastation, yeah? You bet. Let's have a look here. Uh, so this here, those are the coordinates for it. This is a diagrammatic representation. And if you look in the green boxes, we've just got the, you know, the the USGS timestamp. And if you freeze time at that moment in time, you know, when it occurred, when the earthquake was registered, in the diagram you can see the map where Japan is, the red blob is the epicenter of the earthquake. The yellow blob is the latitude and longitude coordinates of the sun on the ground, okay, at the instant the earthquake occurred at that time. And what I'm pointing out is this one thing. And these values are in feet. The great circle arc, the direct arc over the surface of the earth connecting up the epicenter to the sun, right? If you do a simple division sum, full equatorial circumference of the earth divided by that, it fits in, as you can see here in red, almost exactly six times. And the discrepancy is only about 464 feet. And so the sun is an important component when you are triggering these artificial earthquakes. Um, So you can see here, uh, you know, this connection that's present and it's split second timing. And I just urge your viewers to almost stand back and process what I'm saying here, because if the Earth's rotating on its axis, right, every single second that passes, the Earth sweeps out 1,520 feet at the equator. And the sun here is near the equator. So if you've got a 464 feet discrepancy, it ramps on the, pack, the fact that the arc length 
they deliberately triggered the earthquake to ensure that it was as close as possible to one-sixth the equatorial circumference. This is how this technology works. It's a kind of resonance-based weapon where energy can be seen to be flowing around the Earth. And the, the arc length measures are like wavelength units of propagating waveforms. So that's an example there, the premier example of how it works. And the Turkey earthquake is very similar. Uh, mathematically, I'll just jump straight to it here. This is the earthquake that occurred, 7.8 in Turkey. And again, you just got the timestamp and the coordinates. So let's just look at one little aspect of it. We just reproduced the coordinates here. And then we've got the sun position. Again, you can use special software to work out where the sun is. And if we're looking in this diagram as a top-down view of the Earth. The N is the North Pole. And if you look where that red mark blob is, that's where Turkey is, right? That's a longitude of Turkey, right? It is 164 east. And where the sun is, it's 37 degrees east. And all we say to you is, the longitude separation at the equator, which is what that dashed line is, yeah? In feet, it's this 464 thing, right? A simple division sum here reveals the following. If you look at a nuclear bomb test, a known, this is the preeminent one. Bravo is the um, highest yield nuclear test ever conducted by the United States. And all you're looking at is a little comparison, you know, of the great circle arc connecting the bomb and the sun for Bravo. And that's in orange here, the 3581. It is a simple division sum of the Turkey earthquake component by that one. And you see the sequence in red here, 1.29599. And it's an ideal of 1.296, as you can see in blue. And I just want to draw your attention to the bottom right. You see how we have this progression of the, the base six system, or sexagesimal system, the, the ratio with the Japanese earthquake was one to six. So you've got number six. You just multiply six by itself, you know, four times. You get that sequence, that one, two, nine, six. You'll see that built into the ratio here. I realize this is a, a tricky point, but these are the kinds of relations where if you have a no nuclear bomb test, because they also rely upon the position of the sun relative to the bomb, and then you look at earthquakes and you look at the epicenter versus the sun position, the arc lengths, when you evaluate them, have special ratios linking them. It's a very complex topic, I admit. And um, this is the kind of thing, though, that proves the signature of this earthquake as being artificial. Yeah? But these are the kinds of relations present. There are many more examples I could give you, but I admit it's just math intensive. But uh, does that make sense, Sean? Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I do. And I'm glad we slowed down so we can all take yeah. this in because we're not all mathematicians. But uh, mm. yeah, the basic thesis makes sense. And uh, I guess what I would ask you as we think about the global covert facilities that are directly involved in generating earthquakes, where are these facilities, number one? And number two, I would have to surmise since they are all over the world, this is NATO. These are NATO countries that are part of this devious plan to cause earthquakes. And again, I'd like to point out that Turkey was not playing ball with NATO regarding Ukraine and some other matters. And so Turkey had to be taught a lesson. So where are these facilities? Are they in NATO countries? Uh, are they airborne? Are they ground-based? I'll, I'll put it on screen. These are the two main ones here. Menwith Hill, UK, in this country where I am, and Pine Gap, Australia. These are practically sister sites. And you see the coordinates given for them both, yeah? 
you know how I talk about the arc length measures connecting up, say, the sun to the epicenter of an earthquake or the sun to a bomb position, yeah? Well, what you tend to find also is, in particular with regards to the Japanese earthquake and the Turkey earthquake, you take these coordinates here and you link these to the epicenter points of the actual earthquakes uh, and the other arc lengths, and you find the same special ratios. Because what they're doing is they are they're basically propagating energy waves to the ground. Pine Gap in particular, right, is a bit on record. Um, this one has a, a shaft dug deep into the ground, about 5.3 miles, right? Now, Nikola Tesla, about 100 years ago, he was doing uh, electrical uh, you know, experimentation to send energy through the earth. And at Warncliffe Tower, one of his big sites, it was specifically talk about digging a big, massive shaft into the ground to anchor the earth and pump electric, pump energy through it, yeah? They're doing the same thing at Pine Gap, okay? They're pumping energy through the earth. And there's such a special connection between these two sites, which nails it. You know, Sean, the frequency of the U.S. power grid is 60 hertz, yes? Let me show you just a, an interesting relation between these two sites linking to the U.S. power grid. So. I'll just explain it in one slide, right? This is it here. So all you've got in the green boxes are just the coordinates of Men with Hill and Pine Gap that you've just seen, yeah? And the diagram, you can see the Great Circle Arc connecting Men with Hill to Pine Gap, yeah? Right. And that's in orange, in the orange box, the 493 value in feet. It's several thousand miles, but that's where it is there, yeah? Now, interestingly enough, if you just do, a, again, a division sum, Equatorial circumference by, of the Earth, which is in the purple box, yeah, divided by the value connecting them up. You see that sequence in red? It says 2.6666 recurring, practically dead on, yeah? yeah? That is the fraction, ideally, 8 divided by 3. It means that if we take the equatorial circumference of the Earth and divide by 8, and we take the distance between the sites and divide by 3, we get the same unit measure, okay? And in the green two lines at the bottom here, I've just done this example here. Equatorial circumference of the Earth divided by eight, and I've converted the answer into statute miles. That's the 3112 miles, yeah? So that value will fit harmoniously three times between the sites and eight times into the equator of the Earth. Well, here's the connection to the US power grid. In order to find out the frequency of something under the electromagnetic spectrum, you just take the speed of light and divide it by a wavelength. In this case, the final line, the speed of light is this 186,282 value. That's miles per second, yeah? Divide that by just the statute miles of that distance, and you find the frequency is practically dead on 60 hertz. So there is such an amazing connection between these sites that they, they're wanting to basically establish a special wavelength connection which is the very wavelength associated with the frequency of the U.S. power grid. So when we talk about transmitting power through the Earth, these sites are massively implicated in this, yeah? So that's these are the sites which they, uh, in part, you have the scalar beams, they're one aspect of it. They intersect over a certain location underground to create a hot spot. Then the other thing is you have energy beamed or projected through the ground via these sites and they harmonize and link up to that hotspot 
boosting it. There's also a separate celestial boost from such as the sun and the other planets. That's a very different topic, but uh, that's how it works. It's a special sort of way of creating these artificial epicenter points and uh, boosting them up. And so when you get an artificial earthquake that might be, I don't know, uh, several, you know, 7.8, 9 or 8 or 9, these are like high magnitude nuclear explosions. They basically have yields in the megaton range, okay? So that's the kind of thing that you've got going off here. You know, you've got explosions occurring as if somebody had set off a big nuclear bomb underground. It's just that you can't go miles and miles under down, drill down, and then place a device there. You have to be ingenious and use scalar beams and intersect them underground, but then that creates your initial hotspot and you boost it via energy transmitted through the ground, through such as Pine Gap and Menwith Hill. You know, these are the kinds of connections that you get. Friends, just a real quick break and a word about our sponsor. Silver has been valued for its beauty and rarity for centuries. But did you know it also plays a vital role in modern industry and tech? According to Noble Gold Investments CEO Colin Plume, who I just interviewed recently, silver could be the new oil. From electronics to solar panels, demand for silver is only set to rise. That's why investing in a silver IRA from Noble Gold Investments is a smart choice for those looking to secure their financial future. With a Noble Gold Investments Silver IRA, you can invest in physical silver coins or bars and take advantage of its unique properties as both a precious metal and industrial commodity. Not only does a Noble Gold Investments Silver IRA provide a hedge against inflation and market volatility, it also allows you to diversify your portfolio with an asset proven to hold its value over time. And this month, you'll get a beautiful Silver Eagle coin with every qualifying IRA of $20,000 or higher. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments and their thousands of five-star reviews. Just visit noblegoldinvestments.com to get started. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. Let me show you something. I just think it's so interesting. I'm glad we slowed down because, you know, now we get into the mysteries of a forgotten age. As you note on your website, the pyramids of Giza, Tesla technology, Tartaria. How about free energy? My point is, is that I firmly believe that there is a source of free energy on this planet and ancient civilizations had figured it out. And of course, ancient civilizations were much more precise and had way more technology than we're led to believe, because I don't think anybody can explain how the pyramids of Giza were built and constructed. And there's a lot more to those pyramids than just burying Egyptian kings in them. I don't think that's what they were there for at all. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how the technology you're describing can be used for good to free humanity or evil. And sadly, guess what? It's being used for evil because the controllers of this world, well, they pretty much own everything and they really, truly hate us. They do not care for humanity one bit. Well, yeah, um, the Great Pyramid is a device, right? Um, You've had people on your uh, previous programs and they talk about sound waves and we've all seen the images where Somebody gets a metal plate yeah. and they sprinkle some sand, sound on it, just fine sand, and then they get vibrating. And it randomly just dances around. But when you get to certain frequencies, it creates these instantaneous patterns, really complex patterns, yeah? Built to create a very precise pattern. And Bruce Cathy himself nailed this one. If you think about his device built onto the earth, right, and you set it into vibratory, vibratory motion, 
you can create a pattern, a cuboid grid pattern of great circle arcs and small circle arcs and an internal cuboid within it. And that's how you resonate the entire planet. Pine Gap and Menwith Hill were positioned where they were because they also were designed to resonate the planet with the same cuboid grid matrix. And I will show you uh, from a couple of slides from my website, in fact, just showing you about the Great Pyramid here. Um, let me see. So if you consider the Great Pyramid, again, we've got the coordinates in the bottom right. And if you think about it being present here at one of the eight points of a cuboid embedded within the Earth, you can think of all the uh, uh, points being connected by a series of great circle arcs and small circle arcs, right? And I'm just going to show you a selection of them. This is another diagram here. We've removed the cuboid in the left, and you can see just the great circle arcs, certain of them, you know. There's a few that I've missed out. This is just one pattern. And uh, the point is, uh, if you look in the diagram to the uh, the right there, and you, you can see A, B, C, D, that's the top of the cuboid. The great circle arc connecting the great pyramid to point B, yeah, is marked by X. If you multiply that by four, right, you get, you know, A to B, B to C, and C to D. And if you divide that by this Z mark, which is the, the latitude from the equator up to where the Great Pyramid is, you get a fascinating answer. You get the value here, this 10.145 value. You know, I talked about the Earth once having 360 days exactly. Well, if you take the current value for the tropical year at the bottom of the screen, divide by 360, you see the same numeric sequence. Decimal points just changed, yeah? So this ties in the location of such as a Great Pyramid to the very... Uh, the frequency of the Earth's orbit. But let me show, because we're talking about Tesla, right? The Nikola Tesla. And there's a connection between Tesla and the Great Pyramid. Because he did, you know, we're talking about the Warncliffe site. Okay. That's one of them. Let me show you another one here. This is something about the Great Pyramid, first of all. Um, if you look at um, the, the values here, all we've got coordinates of the Great Pyramid and the arc length from the equator up to the latitude of the Great Pyramid is 29.98. That's that value in blue. We know what the base side length of the Great Pyramid is. That's about 755 uh, feet or so, just slightly, you know, under 756. And it's interesting that when they build the devices, they want them also to harmonize or fit a whole number of times, you know, with respect to some special arc length to the Earth. So this one here, you can see, if you just take the latitude of the Great Pyramid and divide it by the base side length, it fits in almost dead on 14,400 times, yeah? Well, let's have a look at uh, Tesla's Colorado Springs Laboratory. We know the coordinates. It's actually, it's actually about 200 feet from what is even still today. The, uh, it's a deaf and blind school in Colorado. And those are the precise coordinates. And again, all we've got in blue is just the arc length from the equator to that latitude at 38 or wherever. A simple division sum, the Great Pyramid Latitude Arc to the Tesla Arc reveals the following. If you just do them here, the bottom of the screen, you see the value 1.296 mm -hmm. is the ratio between these arc lengths, yeah? Remember that Turkey earthquake, 1.296 between the Bravo arc length and the Turkey one, 
you've literally got the same ratio staring you right in the face here. And so this is how interchangeable they are and how uncanny it is. But we talk about major sites. So I'll give you a bit of a scoop here, Sean, okay? And what do you think about that Elon Musk guy? What do I think of Elon Musk? Yeah, what do you think about it? Well, I'll tell you something very interesting. A, I'm glad he bought Twitter and is freeing up that platform to some degree. But I just heard Steve Bannon say he is in the pocket of the CCP, the Communist Chinese. So I think there's more and more evidence to suggest he is playing his role. But again, I don't know what lays in the man's heart. What I do know is he hijacked the name Tesla and used it very effectively in marketing to sell electric cars as we gut the planet of the resources needed. Children literally digging these resources, lithium and all these other rare earth minerals, out of the ground to make these stupid batteries for cars. For what? To end global climate change? It makes zero sense. What I will say about Elon Musk is he was smart enough to steal the name Tesla and use that as a brilliant marketing tool to sell electric cars. The real genius, the real technologist, the real savior of humanity with real technology that could help us was Nikola Tesla, not Elon Musk. Well, you know how I talked about buying up a Merrifill? These are massive NSA bases, yeah? Um, and you'd think that uh, if, say, the U.S. government were to be building another massive base worth a few billion dollars or whatever, it would be kind of well-known. Well, they have built such a base uh, hidden in plain sight. And there's an incredible uh, link to it, right? So what is this big NSA base that I'm talking about? Uh, let me show you on screen. It's the Tesla Gigaplant, you know, in Nevada. I was just going to ask you if that was the case. Oh, yes. Now, look very carefully. You can go on to uh, Google Earth and see this. Again, all we're looking at, we've got the coordinates, dead center of the plant, right? You're looking at the arc length from the equator right up to the center of the plant. And it's that 1096, sorry, 97 value in feet, yeah? And we can also look at the length of it, 38110 feet. Simple division sum, and lo and behold, what an incredible ratio. 2880, practically dead on. Remember the Great Pyramid, how they it's, it's built to the cardinal points of the Earth, you know, north-south orientated, the square base. Tesla's plant here, the, the Tesla company plant, is also built to, you know, fixed north, south, east, west, right? And here you've got, they built it to certain dimensions that, again, fits harmoniously a whole number of times into the arc length, okay? And there's a connection between the Tesla Colorado Springs site and this one here. And here's the nice little diagram. This is the better diagram explaining it. You've got the Giga plant there. The arc lens from the equator up to the Giga plant. And then you've got the arc lens from the equator up to Tesla's lab. And if you do a simple, you know, ratio, you get practically dead on this 0.777 sequence, which is that the perfect fraction ideally is 7 over 9 with just a 92 feet discrepancy. So that plant is exactly like Pine Gap and Menwith Hill. It's a straight out NSA site masquerading as a car plant. No doubt there's some layers to it, yeah? Some deep layers, restricted areas that the normal people can't access. And they're engaged in the same kinds of operations like at Men with Hill and Pine Gap. They've, this is why, you know, all this funding of all these electric batteries and all that you're talking about, yeah? It's just subsidizing companies to build massive plants like this 
And it looks like it's a private company just doing something. But, you know, your military intelligence guys are all over it. Well, you know, this they, is what's yeah, this is what's brilliant yeah. about the deep state is that they can use these guys as cover to do what they otherwise could not yeah. get away with. If it was the government putting up a gigafactory exactly. like that, people would ask too many questions. But if you can do it on the back of Tesla with Elon Musk being the figurehead of what's going on, well, then it's all easily digestible and accepted by the American people. Let me show you one thing, guys. Very interesting what Keith wrote on his website here. Now, in my stated aim, I have indeed been able to fathom some of the deep principles of the occult physics at work in nature. In times past, such were guarded by the mystery schools of old. Today, the so-called military-industrial complex holds the keys to the kingdom. I think that's very important as we continue in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's from my website there. Yeah, and it is. I think you see, it's like I said, you can look at structures, ancient structures like the Great Pyramid or Stonehenge or whatever, and you look at the positioning of them. They confirm that they wanted to build them with certain special relations to the earth in terms of a cuboid grid matrix, that kind of thing. And then when you look at modern day facilities like Pine Gap, Menwith Hill, even Buckley Air Force Base and this Tesla Giga plant, they're positioning them in such a way to make you think, no doubt about it, they're operating to achieve the same technological ends, resonating with the earth, pumping energy through the earth, and in some cases, they can do it for nefarious purposes, like triggering artificial earthquakes, that kind of thing. But, uh, I mean, and for me, I think Elon Musk is one of these guys that, smart guy, and he rose up in life to a certain level. And then he realized that in order to go higher, he needed to get into bed with some very unsavory characters. And he compromised, if you will, you know. And so, you know, they'll say, oh, we'll, we'll fund you, you plant, but we want certain sections of it for ourselves. You know what I mean? This is why I think to an extent that part of him is a bit, bit guilty. I mean, when he bought Twitter, this is a guy that did he pay too much for it? Yeah, sure. But it's like, it didn't matter. And yeah, he's releasing all these Twitter files. It's like, he, he likes to talk about corruption, but obviously he's sailing close to the wind. There's certain things he cannot say yeah. because he's in bed with these people. You yeah, know what I mean? He's got limits to what it's he a can limited, say. It's a limited hangout. Absolutely. Exactly. I think that's yeah. true. And the other thing is, is he's deep, deep, deeply in bed with the military industrial complex mm. through SpaceX. I mean, we're just oh, scratching yeah. the surface as we talk about Tesla. I mean, the whole thing with the, you know, oh, God, we could go into the moon landings. Thing. <laughs> I could say a lot about that. Yeah, feel I mean, free. Feel free. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, again, it's a topic. There's lots of guests you've had on your program, you know, that I've, I've followed them for a few years. And, um, you know, there's such a controversy regarding the moon landings. I know some people think it's all in studio or we went there. My personal view is I think that we did go there. But the, the key point about the cover-up is, they they lied about the whole timeline. They lied about the technology. And they also lied about the surface conditions on the moon. And I think that a lot of the photos adopted and the videos adopted, in some cases, they can be shown absolutely to be taken on a studio set in the Earth. But in other cases, some of the anomalies prove, for me, absolutely taken on the moon or orbiting the moon because they're trying to eliminate you know, anomalous things like extraterrestrial craft and review that they're trying to cover that up. I think that's an aspect of it. You know, that's part of the controversy. There's people who've analyzed the photos and shown that they, they've they got 
effectively large craft that they've been spotted, and they did manage to get rid of all of the, the you know, evidence of this. So some of the photos blatantly show you that, and, and also single, like multiple shots indicating that they're moving. So uh, some of the footage there does confirm for me they were on the moon. But again, I mean, the Bart Sibrel video, that was, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, the deathbed confession is very interesting of the uh, security yeah. guard, the head of security at that uh, Arizona military base. But beyond that, and we don't have to, I don't want to beat you up over NASA oh, and yeah. Apollo missions. I mean, we can agree to disagree for sure. Oh, but yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't know we'd get bogged down on the moon landings here. But let me just ask you, Occam's razor, what is more likely? <laughs> they couldn't get through the Van Allen radiation belts then? Because they can't do so now. I mean, NASA talks about this constantly as the problem to going to the moon, as though we never went to the moon in 1970. Yeah. This is openly talked about now. In addition to that, they lost all the telemetry data. They lost all the blueprints yeah. to the vehicles, the Apollo, the Apollo rockets, the lunar lander, all of it gone. Uh, the telemetry data gone. Uh, they destroyed all the technology. It would be a painful process to build it back again. This is NASA's official line. Don't you think Occam's razor would suggest the easiest answer to accept is they never went at all and the entire thing was fake? Or is your thesis that they have a more advanced space program and the faked program hid that from us? You're right. Let me tell you about human psychology. People have leaps of faith, you might say, in certain evidence they consider decisive. We all do this. We are all absolutely guilty of this. We are guilty of if we see one thing and it to us is personally exceptionally powerful at proving a certain point, you know, we then, when we're doing an investigation, we start looking at all kinds of other things and we're almost seeming to think, well, because I can't go against this one thing I'm totally convinced is true you start to think, well, how could this point here, which also seems to be in conflict with it, maybe, how could it be worked into it without causing a, a conflict? And uh, we're all guilty of this. We all do this, you know. Um, for me, as I said, I have seen people analyze in depth video footage uh, in orbit of the moon, some of the video footage purported to be on the moon, and also some of the still images there. And the people who've looked at these have, to my satisfaction, confirmed that there is doctrine of the photos in such a way as to indicate that they are real. For example, uh, some of the video footage shot around the moon. Um, you know how NASA's told cover up any extraterrestrial craft or anything like that? Well, they appear to have found a craft and somebody was tasked with cutting out the key section. And what they did, and this 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 researcher, Robert Morningstein, you might, uh, might have heard of him. Um, he looked at the, uh, the evidence and he, he looked very carefully at the frame rates. And he found that they'd cut it in such a crude way that they had a few frames of an alien craft on, a massive section missing, and then just a couple of seconds on of this alien craft continuing on and going underneath or below the horizon of the moon. When I see something like that, purported to, from a video footage that's been doctored in that way, which has got some kind of alien craft on, and it's showing you a video around the moon, that for me is decisive. And I, it makes me think they had to have gone through the Van Allen belts. How? I can't say for certain. That's a problem yeah. because you ought to be able to say for certain if you are going to hypothesize that they covered up and faked the whole thing. 
or that they covered up the entire event because UFOs on the moon. I would push back gently and say it's more likely Occam's razor, in my view, that the suggestion of there being alien technology on the moon was seated there, planted there to cover up the fact that the entire thing was faked. They can't get to the moon. They didn't go to the moon. And if we're to believe Werner von Braun, they've set themselves up nicely with this narrative of UFO technology on the moon for a fake alien or UFO event, Project Bluebeam, which von Braun warned would be the last card they would play. As I said, I understand what you meant. Occam's razor, simplest explanation is likely to be true, but we all latch on to what we believe are decisive points of evidence. We're that's all guilty true. of no, this. No, that's true. I did you it know? I did it in this interview, and you've yeah. done it in this interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm admitting it. You know. This is why I say with the Bart Sabrell video, I understand where you're coming from. Prima facie, if another person is already absolutely convinced that we never went to the moon, they look at that and they think that's just reinforcing it. I look at it and I say, it's not conclusive because all it proves is they're faking being 130,000 miles. If they break orbit and travel to faster speed, sure. yeah, they could yeah. still get there. They, it's they could. not conclusive. They could. They could also have technologies they're not telling us about in the oh, entire, I do believe that. the entire That's public why... facing mission could have been just that a public facing mission of actors yeah. of theater masquerading for the American people. And behind that is a secret space program with far more advanced technology. That's possible. Anything's possible, mm-hmm. but let me ask you this. And again, I didn't know we'd get bogged down so long in this part of the conversation about the moon landings, but Werner von Braun, who said, the rocketry would have to be three times as large as the ones they actually build to get to the moon. When he died on his tombstone, he put Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. What do you think he meant by that? Why would he put that on his tombstone? I don't know about that. I know in Genesis, I do not translate firmament as being snow globe. You know, I don't I don't believe that. Um with regards to the rocket stuff, again, I can only assume that when he was thinking about this, uh, he was thinking about high gravity on the moon, and he was thinking about what would be required to get into orbit. You see, this is the thing. When you look at the lunar module taking off, it's just like a little explosion, and it just seems to rise up. I think that we were dealing with anti-gravitic technology, and that's how they did not require all these massive amounts of rockets that Von Braun was talking about. I think they got around it through technology like that. But, um, I, you know, I, I agree that uh, there's uh, there are atmospheric things that can be done to achieve, you know, holograms and whatever. You. It, it would not surprise me that grand deceptions like that might be undertaken. But uh, I don't know. Uh, can I show you something else? I, honestly, yeah, yeah. I didn't know we'd get yeah. bogged down like this. And uh, I yeah. always admire and respect my guests. So this is just a fun conversation. We can challenge each other's ideas on this. Yeah. But you explain to me, if you can, where in the world the dune buggy, the lunar rover, was? Where did they put I it? Do. How did they unfold it? Are you? I mean, come on. Mm. I got to yeah. push gently back and say what they showed the American people was nothing but nonsense. But now having said that, I myself have said... If some of that lunar rover footage, the dune buggy footage, was shot in a studio, it was brilliant. It was a gigantic (laughs) studio. I mean, a scale, the scale of which maybe we've never seen before in any movie. So, look, the jury's out on what actually happened here. I just don't personally think that going to the moon in 1969, 70, 71 was so damn easy that they could bring a dune buggy 
that folded up neatly into this piece of junk and then tool around on the moon. It makes zero sense. It's almost like the mm. humiliation ritual of putting Fetterman in as senator or Joe Biden in as president. It's part of a humiliation to make people believe these things. I don't know dimensions of that uh, doom buggy, and I don't know all the following up. So I've only, it's again, it's just stuff I've seen. I know with the lunar modules, they jettisoned them. They did not bring them back. They jettisoned them from the command module, which then went you know back to Earth, which is why the ones that they show like in, in stage settings, I can't believe that they're fully functional and ever were. I think they've been stripped down of any important components, and you are looking at some kind of shell just just for a museum piece, yeah. you know, because the, the ones that they actually use, they jettisoned, so they never brought any back with them. Um, well, as you said as... something just perfect there, a museum piece, because they have one yeah, of yeah. these damn things on display at the Smithsonian, Washington, D.C. I've seen it myself. It's a joke. Have you ever? It's a anybody... joke. This That, that contraption yeah. could not withstand the vacuum of space. That contraption could not withstand negative 300, 400 degree temperatures in the shadows, what, three, four, 500 degrees in the sunlight. None of it adds up. I mean, it doesn't add up anymore. And here's where we can probably mm. agree. It doesn't add up anymore than Elon Musk launching a Tesla into space with Spaceman. <laughs> and then supposedly, we're supposed to believe that was a stock Tesla with a normal dashboard, normal paint, normal mm. glass, and it's just going to orbit the earth. No problem. Mm. I just, I don't buy just any bizarre. of it, man. I don't buy any of it. All right. Hey, man, we've gotten so off track. We can agree to disagree on the moon landings, but uh, let's go back to your seminal work here, which is there is technology that exists that unfortunately is being used against humanity to cause earthquakes, to devastate entire nation states, to bring nation states to their knees. So they comply, in my view, with NATO and the powers that ought not be those mandates coming from NATO and those nation states, Australia, UK, United States being the three most paramount ones. How do we round out the conversation in a way that's good news for the people? I mean, I'd sure like to uh, agree that our cup is half full in some way, but uh, until this deep state new world order is defeated, we really got our backs up against the wall, don't we? The deep state is so entrenched in governments. To defeat the deep state means the governments must fall. Um, you, you know, your federal government in the United States is the greatest enemy of your people. They are puppets. And I don't see getting an election in place where you somehow manage to get an honest guy in under the current system. I mean, even with President Trump, you know, when he got into presidency, you know, you think that's the highest authority position there. But does he have the highest power? And the answer is uh, he should have. But his own people were out manoeuvring him and stabbing in the back. I mean, when we were talking about getting out of Syria, didn't somebody come out and say, well, yeah, he wanted us to pull out of Syria, but I just lied to him, you know, when he advises and we just moved a few troops around, but we didn't get pull them out. There was stuff like that going on. It's like you can you can have your own people lie to you. You, you know, you, this is why I think that, you know, the nation is not the state. And if we have the collapse of our uh, governments, we're going to have a ton of chaos. But that ultimately might be what is necessary to bring down their authority. I mean, when people talk about all this spraying and all that stuff, all the operations like that with the chemtrails, all the rest of it, does getting a guy in or even a government in seemingly, uh, you know, of people who believe in, you know, the classical uh, idea of what America is or Britain or whatever, are they going to change it? No. The, the entire government must become powerless 
and you've practically got to stack the ground up and it will be a moment of chaos. I think the best thing that could happen, um, and I'm certain it will happen for the United States, is that you break up as a country and fragment and you form brilliant new nations, new geographical borders, which are on lines with the, the primary American principles you have, but your country will not continue to exist as a geographical entity that it is. And in order to salvage America, which is the American people, you're going to have to do it with the collapse of your country as you know it. And that sounds like it's a terrible traumatic thing, but it it is the best thing that could happen. You've just got to manage the transition when they are stripped of their power. I think that's all you can hope for. There's a lot of people in Britain, I think, would say the same thing. They would like to see a lot of things the government does reversed. But it's like... I mean, it's like you talk about the massive invasion you've got of immigrants in America. You can talk about the same thing in Britain. It's insane the amount of people being brought in. But why do they come? Welfare state. Wouldn't it be glorious if the welfare state was utterly destroyed? On the one hand, you're thinking, yes, they'll stop coming over. On the other hand, you're thinking, what a traumatic thing for the existing populace. It's going to be bad, isn't it, either way? I don't see us turning this thing around in the in the way that it is at present. I think that we're going to see these crashes. I mean, you know, we talk about the bank runs seem to be starting here. Let's assume they do. Would we want bailouts? No. We would want an absolute catastrophe. And then the government is stripped of its power. And again, this is life or death because, you know, these are the kinds of situations that cause massive civil unrest. The governments trigger their own downfall by causing massive civil unrest, you know. It's like we talk about protests. You know, everybody likes protesting. Do you know what all these people protesting all have in common? They all like to mass in, uh, you know, massive large numbers around their capitals and radio, and every single one of them is trying to have the most peaceful protest going. You know, they're trying to do that secretly. We want these protests to not be peaceful. We can't advocate it. But secretly, we want them to get out of hand. But you know how they do get out of hand? It's not the people there. The government will stack agent provocateurs in the crowd. The government will get the police and the military to go heavy-handed. And if the people are backed into that corner right there, they end up having to fight. And they, they find out that before they know it, they've stormed the Winter Palace or the Bastille and the, the politicians and the last chopper out of Saigon and all that. You end up having a revolution almost by accident when the, the, the police cracks down, you know what I mean? They're the ones that trigger their own downfall. People are always trying to have peaceful protests, but you know what I mean? It's like you think at some point it's going to get out of hand and that you think that's kind of necessary. Yeah, in no, order you're to, right. And a great you know, example of that is over the weekend here, this past weekend, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank Valley. was going to lead to a domino effect run on the banks, and the Fed knew mm-hmm. it, the Treasury knew it. So what they do They stepped in and they guaranteed all deposits at Silicon Valley Bank and another bank that people didn't know was collapsing, Signature Bank in New York. So I think the punchline to the story here regarding that is that Silicon Valley Bank, two of the largest shareholders in it, were BlackRock and Vanguard. So again, Mm -hmm. who got bailed out? Silicon Valley startups that are woke and hate our nation and, of course, the deep-pocketed trillionaires behind those companies, Vanguard and BlackRock. So we get more of the same. But the alternative was going to be a devastating nationwide, perhaps global bank run that maybe would have brought in exactly what you think is necessary. 
bringing this thing to its knees. So we'll see how that yes. plays out. And I really yeah. do uh, appreciate your time today. Tartaria, Nikola Tesla, technology that may have existed that we don't know existed, or at least those who don't research it don't know. Free energy generators. Have you seen any of this information related to what is widely regarded to be Tartaria? Or maybe we just stick with Nikola Tesla, easier to digest. It's, it's not an area I've looked into, the Tartaria thing. I know it's to do with maps and uh, names on maps and whether there was a, a gigantic empire that suddenly collapsed. And I'm not really sure about that. I must admit, it's not an area I've looked into. Um, I do think, though, that, like I said, the technology... There is a lost technology. And in these megalithic monuments, it was present and we are reconstructing it. We've now got to a certain age. It's the same with um, with such as um, great world age cycles. You know, we talk about esoteric calendar systems, forecasting disasters and whatever you like in texts like the Bible. You know, and uh, this is one of the primary fields I'm into because I think that's also part of the lost technology I look at special alignments that I think might be bona fide end-of-age contenders. And one of them, actually, is this year, 28th of October, 2023. We've got a very nice four-body alignment with a lunar eclipse there. It's very fascinating to me. Um, so I'm looking at that one. I might do a big video presentation about that one. But these are the kinds of things I look at. I think that it's a combination of technology, but also knowledge about the solar system and esoteric world age cycles as well so there are connections there we're rediscovering this and i think it's the the technological leaps we've made over the past few decades they were necessary to allow us to understand some of these insights even mythological stories can be solved via having a certain technological level otherwise you don't really get it so that's that's what my book's about it's in part mythology uh, but also how it ties into technology. So that's what that's what I'd say. I'm sorry, what's the name of your book? Oh, uh, it's this one here, Occult Physics. Well, there so you go. It's my Lost Age Secrets website. This is uh, talks about in-depth um, everything we've just said here. It talks in-depth about the planetary system, you know, Earth every 360-day orbit, Moon every 30-day orbit, when that was, and also it talks about megalithic monuments like Great Pyramid, Stonehenge, some of the pyramids on Mars, um, and also uh, the uh, Pine Gap Menwithill NSA connection. And the largest chapter in there is on nuclear weapons. It discusses in great depth, you know, a lot of nuclear bomb tests now related to the sun. Um, if, if this, if, if you're People are looking at those critical slides at the outset and thinking, I think there's more to it than that's the major chapter in my book explaining the physics behind it. It's it, the basis of scalar beam weapons tests is the discoveries they made with nuclear weapons. They're like esoteric devices. It's like alchemy. You know, an alchemist might have a little bowl and they've got all their ingredients and they're going to mix them in their bowl to create a reaction, right? Before they do it, they don't use it any time. They literally might be saying, well, I need the moon to be in a certain position in the sky, literally to capture the celestial influences in their mixing bowl when the reaction occurs, right? Now, when you put it like that, it sounds all mystical. But when you look at nuclear weapons, when you trigger the device, you've got to make sure, say, the sun is in the right position in the sky for the bomb yield to work correctly, you know, nuclear weapons, it's like an alchemical operation triggering one. So 
you know, we, we really have got that uh, level of technology, which is replicating some of these esoteric ideas, you know. It's interesting, man. Uh, I guess one way to round out the conversation is to say that all of this stuff is a cult to the degree that it's really hidden from the mm-hmm. average person. And so is the very foundations, the roots of NASA, you know, with uh, Jack Parsons, Alistair Crowley, L. Ron Hubbard, these guys communing uh, and really trying to contact spirits, otherworldly demons, I would say. Uh, it's the occult nature and the bones, the uh, foundations of NASA that uh, I think kind of bring us full circle because all of this stuff is hidden. And as I quoted in that paragraph from you, all of this is now in the domain of the hidden keys are in the control of the military industrial complex. So even though we can agree to disagree about the moon landings, you may be right. I'm not the keeper of all truth and knowledge. Believe me. We just don't agree necessarily on what happened with those Apollo missions. But I do have to say, you brought me a little bit closer to understanding what may have actually happened on 9-11 with scalar beam weapons. So the reason I like to have these conversations is because they make people think. You don't have to be right about everything. I'm certainly not right about everything. But somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And you and I both know most of the truth regarding the history of this planet is hidden away. Well, I'm going to show your website here one more time as we say our goodbyes. Lost Age Secrets. That's lostagesecrets.com. Boy, we never even really got into this uh, idea of wireless energy. You guys are going to have to read more about that. You can do so at lostagesecrets.com. Our guest has been Keith Hunter. Keith, show that book again, will you? It's a occult physics. Occult physics. All right, guys. I'll leave a link below. You guys can check out the site. Our guest has been Keith Hunter. Keith, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Okay. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. I like conversations like these. They're challenging. You know, I don't like to bring on guests that only agree with me. And uh, even though Keith and I agree on most things, I think that moon conversation in the Apollo missions was interesting. Leave your comments below, guys. Be constructive. Be helpful. What do you think actually happened? in 1968-69-70-71. Is it as easy to go to the moon as they say? And if it is, why haven't they gone back? Or have they? Are there things going on that we just will never know the truth about? Well, that's the nature of alternative news media, guys. We go where CNN and the Washington Post refuses to go. Hey, Keith, look, one other thing I should point out is that uh, those folks in the uh, alternative news media and doctors that are willing to tell the truth, well, now we know that that vaccine it's, it's not a vaccine. It's a bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine. So I guess the payoff to this conversation is that they really do lie to us about just about everything, don't they? Definitely. That vaccine, I know we, we never even discussed that, but it's been a big contention because I'm like the only person in the entire family that never got vaccinated. I've not had a vaccine or any description in like 20 years. And I, I couldn't get through to any of my uh, relatives. They did what they did, and uh, there's other things I could say about it because they're very close to the NHS, you see, the National Service, and uh, that's why they were convinced it was the right thing to do. But um, I never got vaccinated. Good man. It is what it is. Good man, and you tried to warn those you care about, and they don't listen. Many of us have had the exact same experience. Mm. Well, you know what? I mean, in the end days, those with the eyes to see and the ears to hear are the only ones that have hope of surviving what's coming. 
And uh, again, I do appreciate you. I'm having a hard time saying goodbye, so we're going to do that now. <laughs> Keith Hunter's been our guest. Thank you, Keith. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'll remind you every single day for free. Check us out directly at thephaser.com, thelibertymill.com, and of course, the flagship site, sgtreport.com. Those are all antidotes to corporate propaganda and mockingbird mainstream media lies. And guys, one last thing. Sometimes my uh, videos are getting shadow banned on Rumble. Every single day, you will find my latest three videos sticky posted at the top of SGT Report in a video bar every single day. Go straight to SGT Report to see the latest. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you and yours. Bye-bye. They had this big ball. Now, this is like a track for some reason next to this curved screen. And again, it doesn't even make any sense that you would think, oh, that's because they're... uh," And then they've got these guys painting it in painstaking detail, right? They're painting exact replica. And here's the track coming around here. Mm -hmm. So you could basically put a cart with a camera on it and emulate the orbit of these crafts on the moon. Why else would you do that? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me.